0: I'm going to continue our series on Acts, and uh, we, we've paused for a few weeks. We've been looking at church planting. I mean, the whole book of Acts is about church planting, but we particularly looked, zoned into that for a, a few weeks, and then um, we're going to continue our series now. So we've, we've come to uh, Act 7, and uh, I'm going to kick you off with a question. <clears throat> Imagine you've got a really bad day at work. Somebody uh, just really hassed up your day, and uh, it's not been fun. Uh, you come home, what do you do? Why don't you turn to the person next to you and honestly assess what would you do after a day like that? Find the person next to you, <laughs> see, see where you land on. All right, let's wrap it up. Uh, some of you, you've just had this week, haven't you? I can tell. Um, this is great. So, uh, so who went for punching a beanbag? Anyone? Yeah, yeah, great. Uh, who goes for chocolate? Yeah, a few honest people in the room. Uh, who goes for a glass of wine and Netflix? No, just a glass of wine. Uh, uh, who, who, who goes into the rent and the speech that you should have delivered in that moment to your spouse or friend or anyone nearby? Yeah, a few people, brilliant. Well, I think we can all recognize ourselves. I'm sure there's a few more uh, uh, ideas in the room, so over coffee, after service, you can uh, share those wonderful ideas. Uh, But generally, they fall into two categories. You fight it, it's like the beanbag option, uh, or you try and escape it, which is like the chocolate option, isn't it? But what happens if you're in a situation that you can't fight and that you can't escape? Imagine you lived in the Ukraine right now. You're powerless. You cannot fight what's happening. You cannot escape it either. What do you do then? At that moment, life is under threat, isn't it? And uh, we can see in the book of Acts, we're coming to a bit of a hinge point in the history of um, uh, the church, that a moment like that happened. The church goes into full swing Uh, persecution. It's getting persecuted. And they can't hide from it. They can't fight it. They can't escape it. But what we see happening in the church is that right in the midst of that season, it flourishes. I mean, who could imagine not just surviving, but flourishing? How can you go through a season of immense suffering and yet flourish? Well, that's what we're going to be looking at in the chapter 7 the book of Acts. If you can find it in your Bible... We're going to look at Act 7. Act 7, verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, this is a very long speech given by Stephen so far. We'll come back to that in a minute. They were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Of God. At this they covered their ears and yelled at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. And meanwhile, witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul Approved of their killing him, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And two um, godly men buried Stephen. Um, godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. What was the secret of the early church? How come they flourished? Was it because of the circumstances around them that were favorable? No. They lived in an occupied country. There was famine, there was persecution. And yet in the midst of all of this, they were able to flourish. Now the reason for that is because the concept of suffering is at the very heart of Christianity. And we're going to look at that today by looking at what Stephen said, what he saw, and what he did. Now, what Stephen said has gone on in the chapters before this. And uh, it's a speech recorded that's been a really long speech. We've been trying to cover several weeks to get through it. And when you read it, you kind of, you kind of wonder, what was this going on? Uh, we can see right at the start that Stephen um, became a deacon, one of the earliest deacons in the, in the church. And uh, he was not just a practical man, he was also a great preacher. And he started to preach about the gospel and uh, so well that a lot of people came to faith and uh, the Jewish leaders were opposing him and couldn't really uh, stand against his wisdom. And we can see he gets arrested, he's brought before the council, and then they accuse him. They say, um, Acts 6 verse 13, This fellow never stops speaking against the holy place, that's the temple, and against the law. And then we can see in chapter 7, verse 1, they say, are these charges true? And then comes a really long speech by Stephen addressing that question. Now, when you look through it, um, it's almost like it's a history lesson uh, in the the ancient history of Israel. You're You're kind of thinking... Well, what happened to the question that was being asked? Because it seems like he's taking you on this really long detour uh, to kind of look at um, at a specific point. But actually, when you look through the speech, you can see that the theme of the temple and the law are all the way woven through. What Stephen is saying, um, Tim Keller sums it up really, uh, really well. He says, first of all, he says, we don't need a temple because when Abraham met God, there was no temple. When Joseph in Egypt met God, there was no temple. When Moses at the burning bush met God, there was no temple. Uh, after that, we can see that um, he explains that uh, by quoting Isaiah 66, that God does not dwell in a house made by man. He says the temple is, is, is like, um, God is not dependent on the temple. It's not the only place where God meets people. And then he starts to explain about the law. He says the law was given to people but didn't help them to build a relationship with God. Because under Moses, you didn't obey the law. Under Aaron, you didn't obey the law. Uh, under Amos, you didn't obey the law. Uh, and we can see that although the law is good, it can't change your hard hearts. I mean, he says some bold words that Stephen is saying. And then he says, the pattern is this. Through all of this, um, we want to have a relationship with God, but we can't fulfill the law. That's why you get in trouble. That's why God sends rescuers. But you've got a bit of a bad track record when it comes to rescuers. You've been denying the rescuers that God has been sending you. First of all, Joseph was to rescue his family. He was denied, I mean, he was sold into slavery. Then we can see that um, Moses was rejected and the people, uh, he had to flee into the wilderness. Then David is anointed as king, but he has to spend most of his days in the wilderness because he was rejected. We can see that the prophets start to speak about a righteous one that's coming. And then in verse 52 says, they even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him, Jesus. Now this is like there's a grenade going off. Imagine this was the council. Everyone starts yelling at the top of their voices, it says, and gnashing their teeth, throwing stuff at him because they are deeply insulted. But Stephen looks like not even faced by what's happening. He doesn't see what's happening around him. His eyes then go up towards heaven. Now, Stephen mentioned that Jesus is the righteous one. That's quite a unique name to use for Jesus. It's not often used in the New Testament. And it must be the core of what he's saying. He says, Jesus is the righteous one. He was the one who fulfilled the law that you couldn't, but then paid the price for those who didn't fulfill the law. Now, if you look at the law, uh, the way that you fulfill the law is either you keep it or you pay the penalty. Imagine you got caught cycling on Bridge Street. Hypothetically, I'm sure there's a few people in the room here, and uh, Sam's colleagues uh, can testify about these things. Um, um, The way that you fulfill that law is either you get off your bike and you do what the police officer says, or you ignore it and you have to pay the penalty. Right? There's two ways. So uh, either way, you're gonna have to fulfill that law. Now what Jesus did is that he lived the perfect life. He never sinned, he did not cycle on Bridge Street, um, but he also paid the fine. And therefore, the righteous one who lived perfectly became our righteousness. He is the one who pays the price for all of us because none of us could come before the Father and yet Jesus did. So therefore, Jesus fulfills the temple and the law and became the sacrifice so he could become our savior. And he is the one who gives us a new heart. Our hard hearts can be replaced for a new heart. Now, Stephen had grasped this, and it made him incredibly bold. He's standing in front of the court. They're yelling at him. They're shouting at him. And he's proclaiming, and you have murdered him. I mean, just imagine that moment. Incredible boldness that he's standing out. Now, how was he able to be so bold, to speak out so freely? It's because he had caught what he was speaking about, and then got a revelation of what was happening you see at that moment when the whole court is kicking off and everyone's shouting and and yelling Stephen's eyes go up to heaven and he sees heaven open and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God and whilst all of these people are yelling at the top of their voices gnashing their teeth he just goes into a glorious exultation I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the father it's almost like he's oblivious to what's happening it's almost like like Uh, glow gone bad and the teacher in front of the room uh, just ignores all of it and lifts his eyes to heaven and starts talking about the glorious nature of Jesus. Thinking, "Are are you not noticing what's going on here? But Stephen is so bold. He continues to speak and now he has a revelation from God supernaturally where he can see what he's just been speaking about. Uh, F.F. Bruce, a um, commentator, says it like this. He says, whilst Stephen was confessing Christ before men, he sees Christ confessing Stephen before God. You see, it says that Jesus was standing at the right hand of the Father. Now again, that's quite a unique phrasing because usually in the New Testament, it says that Jesus was seated at the right hand of the Father. Now when it says Jesus was seated at the right hand of the Father, it speaks about completion. It means that his work was finished. He sat down. But when it's standing, it means that he's active. And he's standing in the throne room, and the heavenly throne room is also the heavenly courtroom. Now, back in history, the throne room used to be also the courtroom. The king would speak justice. I mean, in our day, that's separated, but back in that day, it was the same. And so it is in heaven. The heavenly throne room is also the heavenly courtroom. And Jesus is standing in the heavenly courtroom interceding. For you and for me, and in this case, Stephen. Jesus is the righteous one who's interceding with the Father. Now, um, this morning, the guys were out at Glow doing some stuff. My daughter came up and she she popped a little sticker on my T-shirt, I don't know what you can see, it's like a little smiley face. And uh, I I thought, I better get that off before the next round. But um, um, I thought, no, I'm gonna keep it on. Because the reality is, when Jesus is standing before the Father, when the Father looks at you and me, this is what we receive: a smiley face sticker, no condemnation. When the Father's eyes look at us, he sees Jesus. He sees the perfect life that Jesus lived, given to us. Credited as righteousness. It's absolutely incredible, isn't it? So therefore, whilst the, the courtroom, the earthly courtroom, is condemning Stephen, the heavenly courtroom is commending Stephen because of Jesus. Now, we have an advocate with the Father. It says in 1 John 2 verse 1, and that's Jesus. Jesus is the one who stands in our place. Now, maybe you find this um, heavenly courtroom idea a little bit offensive. Like, well, well, who says there's such a courtroom like that? Well, there must be a courtroom like that. No one could live in a world that did not have a heavenly courtroom. Imagine all the atrocities that are happening currently in the Ukraine. Imagine that no one was held to account for any of those. Who could live in a world like that? Who could live in a world where all the unseen hidden tragedies would not be held to account? None of us would want to live in a world like that, right? However, if there is a heavenly courtroom, what hope is there for you and me? Imagine your mobile phone was on record 24-7. And all the things that you said about other people, the standards you set for other people, were the standards you were going to be measured by at the end of your life. Who would be able to balance the scales? None of us. You see, when we stand before the Father, none of us in the heavenly courtroom, none of us could say, I'm righteous. We would all have to pay the penalty. And it says in the New Testament that the penalty is death, eternal death. And yet Jesus died in our place. That's why we can appear before the heavenly courtroom and receive the smiling, loving face of the Father. Isn't that a miracle? Isn't that an incredible gift? Now, Stephen was so filled with this revelation everything around him just changed. He could face the greatest suffering with incredible boldness and grace, forgiving the very people that were stoning him to death. Now, I don't know about you and I, but when we go through suffering, that, that does not tend to be our experience, does it? We, we, we usually don't get distracted with heaven whilst uh, the, the, the earthly courtroom is condemning us, we get obsessed with the earthly courtroom condemning us and forget about heaven. When you've had that bad day at work, you get obsessed about that day. You don't come home and, uh, and, and kind of do three hours of worshipping in tongues to get through most of us on an uh, average day, do we? We get obsessed by these things. Uh, over this last season, uh, most of my days have started with looking at the news and most of my days have ended at looking at the news. And if I didn't want to look at the news, I was going to look at something else just to distract myself, right? But God's saying, if you want to get through suffering and if you want to be able to stand strong in this life and be bold, your eyes must be on heaven. If the heavenly reality is not greater than the earthly reality that you're facing, you won't be able to get through suffering. And we will end up just like everyone else, now, I was talking to um, a, a girl, quite a, a special moment, actually. She contacted me via the website about Plant Naumager. Uh, she's a girl who grew up in Naumager, moved to the US, and then she came to faith. And she was telling me her story. And then she was telling about her family that still lived in Naumager, and we got to pray together for that. But she told me, she said, um, when, I, when I was in, in the US, um, uh, there were people who were just friends, and I was lonely. And, 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 and some of them were Christian friends. And they kept inviting me. And I, I was a little suspicious. I thought, I don't, I don't want to know anything about faith. But they kept inviting me. So at some point, I felt obliged to go along. And I, and I went along. I went to one of their kind of social activities. And and uh, quite enjoyed it. Discovered that they were normal people. And then started to build make some friendships. Well, normal. Um, and, um, and as you said, I was building friendships. I got to see a little bit of their inner life. Now, there was this one girl who went through a real tragedy. Her father died. And she said, at that moment in time, I got a revelation of what it was like to be a Christian. This girl went through this suffering with such hope and strength that I became spiritually jealous, she said. I just felt empty. And I thought, I want what she has. Now she saw this girl going through suffering and in the midst of suffering, flourish in her relationship with God. And she said, I I, I had lots of um, skepticism about the Bible and Christianity, but that spoke to me. And from that moment onward, I started to ask questions, and I wanted to know more. You see, when you and I go through suffering in a way that keeps our eyes on Jesus, makes us bold and hopeful, that is the strongest witness this world could face. I mean, we're going through incredible tragedy at the moment. We're going through uh, two years of COVID. Currently, there's a massive war going on in Ukraine that's affecting the whole world. Uh, Who knows what else is coming? Well, if you and I get just as distracted and caught up with all the details like everyone else, we're going to have no testimony. But if in the midst of this, we start to live strongly rooted in Christ, keep our eyes on heaven, we will have a testimony that will make other people spiritually jealous. Perhaps you're here even today and you can't quite work your head around all this stuff. Um, there is real hope in Jesus that goes way beyond this world. Stephen was able to have the face of an angel, it says, light up, be beaming whilst he was being stoned to death. Could you imagine that? That is the testimony of true faith. Because this world is not all there is. We don't have to fight, flee or protect everything that's dear to us, because we live for something much greater. The love of the Father, who has welcomed us in, not just now in this life, but in the life to come. Now, what are your eyes on at the moment? What fills your conversations? Are your eyes on heaven? your conversations filled with faith? Or are they full of fear and anxiety? It's easy to get sucked into that in the moment, isn't it? Now to the degree we have grasped that heavenly picture, we will be able to get through suffering, just like Stephen did, just like Jesus did, just like the early church did, and thrive in the midst of difficulty. So we looked at what Stephen said. We'd looked at what Stephen saw. Now what is it that Stephen did? Well. First of all, it seemed like he accomplished little. There's only one preach recorded and his life was cut short. He died. He did not come through victorious. He was stoned to death. And at that moment, a great persecution breaks out. It seems to get worse. Imagine being part of the early church at that moment. It was flourishing. Thousands of people had come to faith. At that moment, it just gets scattered. And one of your spiritual leaders just got stoned to death you would not consider that a victory, would you? And yet, it's the hinge point of Acts that really burst the whole church into fruitfulness because they get scattered everywhere. And from that moment onward, the church starts to multiply and take the gospel to all the places around the world. Now, we can see that this speech is a very long speech. And you kind of try to wonder... Who was it that was actually there to hear the speech and then write it down? Now, Luke is the one who wrote Acts, says that he uh, wrote uh, all the books that he, he'd written, the gospel, as well as um, Acts, based on eyewitness accounts. And we can see that there is one eyewitness mentioned in this story, an unlikely one, Saul. He was the one who got the coats uh, put at his feet. He looked after them and, uh, and agreed with people killing Stephen. Stephen. But we can see that this moment in Saul's life has great impact. Not immediately, but later on it does. When he meets Jesus and gets a revelation of Jesus, suddenly the words of Stephen are remembered. And we can see that all Paul's letters are filled with the themes that Stephen has spoken about in this chapter 7. talks about the temple, talks about law, righteousness, grace. I mean, Stephen impacted the life of one man who impacted the life of many and we can see that this moment his boldness his faithfulness then um, leads to a massive impact throughout church history leading us to today talking about Stephen he was a man who was cut in his prime um, who did not seem to come out victorious and yet had great impact and that could be your story my story we may not come through fruitful appearing in the moment you may be losing the argument in the moment in your tough day. But you can come through victorious and have great impact as we look to heaven and continue to live faithfully in what God says. Now, I heard somebody um, saying once that as they were going through a tough season, um, their way to respond to the difficulty was in worship. And they would, would put two chairs down he said, I would sit in one and then say, Satan, you can sit in the other one and you can watch me worship. I mean, that is a way to respond to suffering, isn't it? But most of us don't feel like worshiping in the moment of suffering, do we? When we learn how to put our eyes on Jesus, receive what Stephen had said, at that moment, our hearts will be softened and we can get through suffering in the same way that Stephen did. Now we're gonna come into a time where we're gonna need the church to be its bold self again. We can see that the the Western church is a timid church and we need the Western church to become a bold church. In this season of suffering all over the globe, there's many great things happening. Um, Lots of great help going to the Ukraine and other places, wonderful things, but the reality is, unless the church speaks up about the true hope, all of this stuff means little. What point is it to care for people in this life when they get lost for eternal life? Now, it doesn't mean it's, 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 it's useless, but there's got to be more. And in order for the world to hear about them more, it's going to need people who have their eyes on Jesus that are willing to be bold and speak up about the gospel, like Stephen did, no matter what the response is. Now, if you were sharing this with your colleagues or your friends, and they'd all stand up and start yelling at you and gnashing their teeth and throwing stuff at you, That doesn't mean that you've done it wrong. We've got some precedents in the Bible here that says that that could be the response. But if we learn how to live a life that let our life match up with our words, most of the time, people will feel spiritually envious about what you're going through and wanna know more. And that's the great privilege that you and I have, to live a life that is a testimony to the heavenly courtroom that has a righteous one standing at the right hand of the Father not just interceding for you and I, but for the whole world. If we get hold of what Stephen said, and if we keep our eyes on heaven so we see what Stephen saw, then we will also be able to do what Stephen did. Shall we stand together? Let's pray. Father, we pray that you will help us when we go through difficult days and even difficult times at the moment to keep our eyes on heaven. Will you continue to remind us of the righteous one, the advocate who stands before the Father? Thank you, Father, that we are welcomed into the throne room, into the courtroom. Thank you that you receive us with open arms. And Lord, we pray as we get hold of uh, the things that are spoken in your words, and as we keep our eyes fixed on you and see the wonderful revelation of you, Jesus, we pray that you'll make us bold, to be able to embrace those around us, uh, live with real strength and certainty in the midst of chaos. Lord, we pray that you'll make us bold ones for the gospel and so many will be able to see and hear the wonderful work that you have done, Lord, in our lives. And we pray that you'll continue to do it in many other lives. In Jesus' name, amen.